You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host as always. This week, we have a very special guest, someone who's not directly in property, but whose role specifically affects the direction of property in the core of our city, the city of Perth. He's the Lord Mayor of Perth, Basil Zemplis, a very recognisable name and voice and face. Basil, thank you very much for coming in today, mate. Trent, lovely to be here. Actually, well, I am in property because I have to be in property to be able to be eligible to run as Lord Mayor or be the Lord Mayor. No, you could do it without owning property, but uh, you need to be a ratepayer in the city of Perth to be eligible to be a councillor or the Lord Mayor. So where are you paying rates? In Northbridge. Yep. And previously also paid rates in Mount Street in what is West Perth, but part of the city of Perth. Yeah. My family has a long city of Perth history. My family came out to Australia from Greece in the early 1900s and set up camp in Lake Street in Northbridge. Well, there's a street with your family name on it. Is there yeah. a connection? Well, it is. That naming of the street, uh, which was done post the tunnel being constructed, sort of honours some of the early migrant families of the area, of which uh, one was my uh, grandparents, and honours their contribution along with my dad and his brothers and sisters. So that, that was a lovely touch. So 96 Lake Street, 1928, the family house was constructed <laughs> and then knocked over in 1995 for the tunnel to be built directly underneath. We lost our family house, which was uh, the sort of epicentre of the Zemplis family. My grandfather, Basil Zemplis also, he owned the Town Hall Fruit Palace, which is what we might call a coffee shop now. And they used to show movies at the Town Hall back in the day, directly across the road from the Town Hall. And that became my dad's business. So my grandfather, who I never knew, uh, he died before I was born, and my dad, that was their business. My uncle Paul had Paul's menswear on the corner of Piccadilly Arcade and Murray Street for nearly 40 years. And my uncle Con was chief magistrate, and obviously the magistrate's courts uh, on Hay Street. So, And I spent a lot of my younger years going and watching Uncle Con in court do his thing. And so a lot of my time as a young person, formative years, spent in and around the city. And I think it's where I developed my love for the buzz of mm. the city and that special buzz that only a CBD has. It was quite an ethnic place back in the day, wasn't mm. it? There's was a lot of Greeks, yeah. a lot of Italians, yep. a lot of Vietnamese, a lot of Chinese around Northbridge specifically, mm. wasn't there? The Chinese arrived early because the Chung Wah Association, which is on James Street, was opened in around about 1926, 1927. Then a lot of Greeks and a lot of Italians, Slavs as well, of course. And then I remember as a young boy, the Vietnamese communities moving into the area, seeing some of the neighbouring houses to my grandmother's place, now home to Vietnamese family. They were refugees who were escaping the war, obviously. And then the second wave of Chinese immigrants coming. So Northbridge and Perth's always been multicultural. Actually, one of the things I love about my job is is about six or eight times a year I'm the presiding officer at the City of Perth's citizenship ceremonies. And I really love those occasions. I know of the opportunity, but also, I guess, some of the trepidation that those new Australians are facing because my family faced it. Mm. But I'm confident when I speak to them about the message that it, you know, if you work hard here, if you do the right thing, this is still the land of opportunity and great things can happen here. And I think sticking with your community as well, the interesting thing about Perth is that over the decades, especially over the last 100 years, you'd say, 
you can see how, especially in property, the ethnicity of the communal push, whether it's most recently been South Sudanese or Afghanis or Indians, yeah. Vietnamese, English, Irish, mm. they've come in waves, yeah. haven't they? Whether it's yeah. been opportunity for emigration or fleeing war or whatever it has been. And they've created communities mm. around certain parts of Perth. You know, you can easily yeah. say, you know what, City of Joondalup full of palms yeah. city of mandra full yeah. of palms north perth had a real big italian yes. background yeah. city of swan these days brabham dayton mm. a lot of an indian yeah. community as well there i think that helps to create what is so special about perth yeah. as, uh, a, as a wider community i think so i mean i think it adds to the fabric of our city the greater perth area whilst of course we're all for assimilation and integration and that's how we become the great place that we are. One of the things I say to the new candidates for citizen, Australian citizenship is absolutely adopt the ethos of your new country, our principles, our way of life, make the most of it, but never ever forget where you've come from mm. and never forget the great traditions or languages or culture, philosophies of where you've come from because those things make our society here mm. richer and stronger. We really are a melting pot and I think our multicultural diversity is one of the great strengths of Perth and you know at times it's been a bit of a problematic journey getting on with one another, but we quickly work our way through it. I, you know, I talked to my dad who's 95, and I think back in the day it wasn't always easy being from an ethnic background, but mm. I think it did make people stronger and it made people look for opportunities. Property is an area where um, those that have arrived from um, Southern Europe have done particularly That's well. Very true. And having to work hard to get ahead, saving money, maybe buying a property and um, then buying another one. Basic principles from almost any jurisdiction, but they have been very applicable here in Perth and people have got on and done well because of it. Now, I want to ask an indulgent question, mm. one that you might be uncomfortable with. Behind Nick Nat Nui mm. and Mark McGowan, I'd say you're probably the most recognisable face voice in Western Australia. There wouldn't be someone who do, I wouldn't yeah. have thought who doesn't know sure. who you are, right? Okay. Yeah. Is it a weird thing? Is it tough sometimes getting out and getting around and just no, being uh, with the family? Look, Do you sometimes not, say, Jesus? Yeah, it's probably not, Trent, because uh, it's not something that was off and then someone flicked the switch and it was on mm. and it just happened. I mean, for most people who sort of burst onto the scene, they've never really burst onto the scene. They've been at it, working mm. hard, working their way up to that level where finally people might know who they are or recognise them. So, you know, broadcasting career is about 30 years old. Mm. Um, and you chose a, that. Yes, and, and, a, and then a transition into the space that I'm in now. And there are a lot of similarities between them. But I've grown into this role. I started as a journo really when I was at uni in my early 20s and was working at seven as a 22-year-old. So I've been in this space a long time. I love it. The recognition of people coming up to have a chat is something I'm very proud of. It means people know who I am, but it means they are—they uh, feel comfortable enough to come up and chat. And as it turns out, in both lines of work, that's exactly what you want. We're in the business of right. connecting. That's yeah. right. And if I've got a connection, that means that probably I'm on the right track. I'm a polarizing figure. I know that. It's in fact something I'm sort of kind of proud of. But I know that even those who are not necessarily Basil Zemplis fans, will feel like they can walk up to me mm. and have a chat. I feel incredibly blessed. I mean, when you're presenting the news, or sport in my case, on the news, you're really being invited into people's homes. And I did that for 20 years sitting next to Rick and Sue. That's the ultimate invitation, really, to, to be asked to come into somebody's house or, or being given that opportunity. And so I've felt very blessed. I've, been, I've felt loved and supported and held to account too mm. by the local community and I've loved it. I've well, loved it. You're held to account even more now as Lord mm. Mayor, aren't you? Yeah. Have you ever received the scrutiny 
like you have over the last couple of years and the previous yeah. 30? Pretty similar. I've got to say that nothing has happened in this role that surprised me, not a single thing. Even the parts of the job that I was not as familiar with, for example, government relations or dealing with our community at a level where they might be applying for something from the city of Perth, those sorts of things. I hadn't done those well, things. Well, you would be a rookie and novice in those spaces in when those you walked spaces, in, right? In those spaces I am, and you'd be very familiar with this because our industries are quite similar also. Um, and I often say to people, you know, I'm not a property expert, but I've done okay with my own uh, affairs. I'm not a finance expert, but again, I've done okay and managed my own finances. I'm not a legal expert. I'm not a building or construction expert, for example. But the role asks for all those things, doesn't it? It does, but what it really asks for or the absolute role that you need to have a specialty in is the people business. And 30 years as a broadcaster doing what I've done, I was always confident, instinctively I thought those skills will be transferable because what you really need in these roles, in the role of Lord Mayor, was an ability to be able to connect with people, to listen, to understand what people need or want or what points they want to get across or what they're looking for. I felt as though I was going to be well equipped for that part of it. And I'm pleased to say that my instincts have proven correct so far. It's a people business. And I think that goes to leadership full stop. I think leadership, the absolute fundamental of leadership, the first principle or plank of it is a connection with people. No matter what industry you're in, if you can't connect with people, you're never going to be able to do the job properly. I'm sure 10 years ago, even five years ago, you might not have even thought you'd be the Lord Mayor of mm. the City of Perth or the Mayor of anywhere. Yeah. Is this a stepping stone to the City of Churchlands in the state government, maybe? Look, I'm aware of, you know, people... There's a lot of people talking to me about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Which I'm, is interesting, and I'm right? Aware, no, and I'm aware that other... You know, I'm aware that there are conversations going. I've been consistent with what I've had to say about that. Nothing's changed. Obviously, I understand why those conversations are happening. Well, think about what you just said. You mm. just said, I'm passionate about people and leadership mm. and making yeah. a difference in a public realm, whether yeah. it's broadcasting or government. Sure. Surely in the state we're in at the moment mm. where we have a broken two-party system, we really have a one-party system right now, which is not good for anyone. Mm. Do you feel a personal obligation or even level of agency towards mm. that opportunity yeah. to possibly break the mould and represent a big part of the community that's probably not represented right now in government? Yeah. So so I absolutely understand the premise of your remarks and I accept why others would be perhaps contemplating that. And I, what I would say is I'm thoroughly enjoying the leadership role that I'm in. It has, one of the things I suppose it has done inadvertently is give me a number of subsequent options beyond this. That you probably weren't thinking about again five, ten years ago. Yeah, I always fancied the opportunity at some point to have a a bit of a crack at a leadership role. I, I've always enjoyed the responsibility that comes with leadership, whether it's been managing a team of one or two in a commentary box mm-hmm. or in a newsroom, being a leader in your family unit. I've always enjoyed leadership and the responsibility that comes with it and the challenges, and I continue to enjoy it. I'm very lucky that I get to do it now as the Lord Mayor of the City of Perth. I can see that there are other possibilities ahead if I chose to go down that path. But I can tell you, I haven't made any decisions about anything beyond being the Lord Mayor of the City of Perth right now. It's cool to look in your eyes and see that because I, I feel that you're genuine about that. You, mm. you haven't made that choice. And someone, I guess, with so many choices about what their future might hold, mm. why would you right now? Let's, let's see the cards unfold and yeah. uh, whatever pops up at the time will make a decision. But right now, who'd, who'd not be happy being the Lord Mayor of Perth? Uh, and, and I do feel as though Perth is on the cusp, and I'm talking about the City of Perth and mm. the core of our city in particular, I think it's on the cusp of an incredible era. So uh, do I. The university is a game changer. We've all celebrated it. We all hoped it would be the game changer that it could be. It is proving to be. And that's 
with only seven or eight stories up out of the ground. I mean, the number of affordable housing options, student accommodation, shared living spaces that are either under construction, completed, or with development approvals in is quite staggering. I mean, in a few years, we could have as many as 4,000 students living less than 500 metres away from Edith Cowan. Now, that, of course, means they are right in the heart of our city. And doesn't matter where you are or who you are, you say to anyone, plonk 4,000 people 24-7 in your capital city, what sort of an effect will that have? On local it business. will be profound. What you're speaking to there is population growth, which is, for me, the number one analogue. It's more so than the mining industry or the oil and gas industry. It's the number one analogue for property growth performance in, in, in any country, right? Because what it talks to is the basic need of shelter. Now, let me bring the context towards property specifically in the data, because I love data and mm. I know you like stats as well. Mm. Five years ago, Rewa was reporting 17,000 properties available on the market. Today, there are less than 5,000. Five years ago, we were transacting about 500 to 550 properties every week. That represents demand. Last week, we transacted over 1,000. And that's been constant since COVID. Our rental vacancy rate has dropped from 7% down to 0.3%. Our population growth last year was 80,000 people, which means on average, we need 40,000 new homes. Mm. And we only built 12,500. HIA is telling us that we're going to struggle to get to 25,000 in the next three or four years, even if we push it. We really need that 35 to 40,000 every single year going forward for many years to catch up. The city of Perth is obviously going to bear a lot of the brunt of the requirements here, as you said, with student accommodation. Do you see there actually being an ability for us to provide that supply? You would see the information coming in from Mm. population growth. You see the tourism stuff more specifically. Mm. Is there a realistic chance that we're actually servicing as a supply line in the city of Perth even, have Mm. the ability to get these properties off the ground, the square meterage we need Mm. to house these people? Well, it's a challenge that the city has taken head on. And one of the things we did last year, and it is now in play from the start of this financial year, was offer up a suite of incentives to the development community and others to fast track the residential growth of our city for those who want to do these sorts of developments in our city to make it easier for them. So things like three years worth of rates rebates, a rates holiday for those who might ultimately take these properties, incentives around waiving of fees, plot ratio bonuses. So they're the levers that we can pull, but also amendments to our local planning strategy and ultimately local planning scheme that will see greater density in the West Perth area. Also the ability to have greater density on other extremities of our absolute city core. So they're the things we can do. We can provide the incentive, we can provide the motivation and make it easier for people to do it. In the end, they still have to see and spot the demand. Now, my view is they will see it. And we're seeing that play out now. I've had a number of developers say to me, you know, we're doing this development because of the incentives that you guys are offering. Mm. And that makes me really pleased because we often hear the uh, planning minister, and I joke with him about his line about pulling levers. Lever. Yeah, yeah. And it's a good line. We've pulled the levers that we can pull. 
Uh, we know, for example, at Elizabeth Quay, uh, there's a high-rise tower that soon will have people living in it. We know of all of the student accommodation towers that are on the way up now and the others well, to think follow. think about the switch. The switch has been Correct. highly successful. I, I think it was ballsy. When they started developing that thing, there wasn't a need for student accommodation. No. And then it was COVID. And they're probably sitting there packing their pants way thinking, what are we doing? Really, weren't they? But they knew the university was coming and so they took the punt. Yep. And they saved tens of millions of dollars beating the construction boom as Correct. well. Correct. And so the university got the final go-ahead mid-year. 2020. So any construction that contemplated student was housing speculative, wasn't was, it? <laughs> was, was a bit of a punt, although you, I guess you could read the play, but well played to those who bit the bullet. And I see a development in this space contemplated every couple of weeks. Wow. Uh, people well, you've got the one that Serona is looking to do on Pierce Street. Correct. Well, I mean, they're getting on with it now, yep. aren't they? They're on their way up. I see others come before us all the time. Look, there are three projects that I celebrate in our city that are going to change the face of our city. And I'm talking about the absolute city core. So the university is one. It's obvious. In addition to the daily population of our city, notwithstanding how many we can keep 24-7 by housing them around there, 8,000 students, 2,000 staff, 10,000 people added to the city of Perth daily population in the first quarter of 2026. Big tick there. The Carillion redevelopment is underway. Although there hasn't been any demolition or site works as yet, it is underway. It's in the final planning stages before you start to see some activity. This is Andrew Forrest's play, right? Correct. You're confident that's actually going to move in the next few years? It'll happen. It will happen. I'm, I'm super confident. And at the same time as that incredible redevelopment of that iconic and really large footprint right in the heart of our city. Mm. I don't think people realise how big it is. Then, of course, you have Elizabeth Key moving from about 30 to 40% complete to 80 to 90% complete and occupied in the next two, three years as well. So there's three projects that in any other city happening at once, you would say, gee, this is a significant project. We've got three of them mm. at once. At the same time, 750 metres apart. That's going to have a profound impact on our city. And what we're seeing as a result is, for example, the Humich family buying up one half of Barrick Street and contemplating what they're contemplating there. We're seeing the luxury strip develop mm. on Murray Street. We're seeing Murray Street fully occupied it's all of the time. transforming, isn't it? It is. Yeah. We're seeing schools located in the city. Stanley College now coming into the city. People wanting to be around that area. And that's before we even consider a redevelopment of the convention centre site, which I'm very confident will continue to move towards an announcement soon. And then there is what should be the iconic and very significant project for Perth of the Aboriginal Cultural Centre and Museum down on the Terrace Road car park site. So that's five projects mm. that in any other city in the world you'd take one of those and say, beauty, we've got one of those in 20 years, happy days. We've got five. Five being contemplated at once, three of them happening as we speak. Do you think they fix a lot of our social problems in the city? I do, because one of the best things we can do in regards to antisocial behaviour and antisocial issues is people. Just bring more people, more Correct. eyes on the street. Correct. And almost always, you know, any challenge that you could throw or anyone could throw at me about our city, typically the answer, doesn't matter what the challenge is, typically the answer is the same, people, more mm. people. We get more people living, working and visiting our city, then almost all of the challenges that someone might throw up at me get taken care of. And so one of our roles is to continue to make the city a very attractive destination, whether that's a permanent destination, i.e. living there, 
or a very attractive place to be able to come and work every day. And, you know, our bounce back from COVID's been absolutely fabulous. People tried to tell me 18 months ago people weren't coming back to the offices in Perth. I never accepted it. I never thought that was going to be the case, partly because our COVID lockdowns and shutdowns were much shorter than everywhere else. Mm. But people like coming into Perth. And despite the longish commute by our standards, <laughs> Perth is still a very easy place to access. Yeah. People like coming into the office and we know now that people like to visit. And that's why a big part of what we do is Christmas lights, Elizabeth Key light shows, bringing Fringe and Perth Festival, making sure that they are at home in the heart of our city, Lightscape up at Kings Park, all of the events that happen at Langley Park and Supreme Court Gardens throughout the year, a world-class museum at home in the heart of the city of Perth, all of those events are part of our job to continue to make our city attractive for the casual visitor and the more permanent visitor. As a developer, our role is essentially to identify and then mitigate all of the different risks at play mm. in front of us from initial concept through to delivery of whatever that asset is we're going to create. Mm. Now, one of the biggest risks that is so variable amongst the different cities is planning risk. Mm. One thing I think that most developers will recognize is whilst they might not see a project that suits their financial requirements or their risk profile, mm. the planning risk in the city of Perth has diminished massively mm. over the last couple of years. Personally, I have an experience where on the fringe of the city of Netherlands, which everyone would deem to be one of the worst councils to have to deal with in a planning space, I've struggled with a DA seeking a slight increase to the height allowances on an R60 site, whereas a developer five doors down on the edge of the city of Perth mm. went through with flying colours being allowed four storeys more than the, the acceptable height in the city of Perth. Yeah. And that for me signals the city of Perth is telling everyone around, all the developers in Western Australia, we're open for business. Mm. Come to us with a good idea. We're not dogmatic about the uh, regulations on height and these sort of things. If you come to us with an idea that solves a problem for WA and, and the city of Perth, mm. then we'll back you in. And, and that is our philosophy. And, I, and I'm pleased and thank you for saying so and thank you for acknowledging it. And I also accept it's a bit easier for us in a sense. There's lots of discussion and commentary about the city of Perth and the state government's relationship. But one thing we are in lockstep in is this need for density in the city yeah. core. Be a part of the solution, not Correct. the problem. Correct. And so our local planning strategy, that's the overriding framework that guides future development in the city. That was approved by the state government earlier this year. Our planning team did an enormous body of work to get that ready. It contemplates all of the sorts of things that you've talked about because that's what a modern city is. A modern city is a city that doesn't get in the way, that doesn't have onerous restrictions, makes development more easy. And the next body of work, our new local planning scheme, comes to council in April of next year for endorsement. That will be followed by a period of public consultation and then we'll go to state government for the final approval. We don't anticipate mm. too many problems there. And it makes it clear for everybody. I've got an idea, I want to do something. You'll be able to know what's permissible and what's not. No grey areas, no confusion and an understanding that, okay, they've made it very clear. Here's what we can do, where we can do it, how we can do it, away we go, let's do it. For me, that's leadership. You talk about leadership at the start here. In this situation, whilst the city of Perth isn't the state of Western Australia, it can't fix everyone's problems. What everyone clearly recognises is that the biggest problem we've got in WA is the supply of housing for the amount of people that live here. Therefore, how do we all be a part of that solution? And for me, that is the city of Perth leading the way. Whilst it may not be perfect in everything it does, 
in the big things that matter, and in this case, supply of housing, have absolutely led the way. And I've, I think that the other local governments in West Australia need to take a look at that and go, you know what, we could lead too. We could follow that leadership. There's nothing wrong happening in the city of Perth. No one's got their arms up in the air. Let's stop being scared of this whole nimbyism outcome. Let's be a part of the solution everywhere. It just doesn't seem to be that in the most important place where most people want to live. Mm that leadership is being followed. Yeah, well, we're happy to provide a leadership role. Obviously, I'm certainly happy to do it. I do think in some ways our job is perhaps a little easier because we know that in the city and in the city core, there is an expectation of what you might have or the sorts of structures you might have as your neighbouring properties. And people, when they come into the city to live, they make decisions about the lifestyle. And I don't think there's too many grey areas about what they're going to get. But I will also say Greater Perth or even inner metropolitan Perth. I think Perth is really growing up. There was a weekend not so long ago. I was in the city on a Friday night for perhaps our twilight food market. There was something else on down at Supreme Court Gardens. I went to a couple of events as I would do. I had to go across to Vic Park and there was a festival over there. And then I drive back to where I live via Subiaco and on one of the parks across the road from the old gates of Subiaco Oval, there was a, a Subiaco Street Festival. And I remember thinking, and I said to my wife when I got home, you know, to me, and not just the city of Perth, but Greater Perth, mm. certainly the inner core, feels like we've grown up because the neighbourhood events are also springing up now. And London, I think, is one of the great cities of the world. I think most West Aussies that go to London love it. It's just got something about it. There's always something going on. You go turn around a corner and there's another little village you didn't know existed. And to me, that night, Perth had that feel about it. So we're growing up. We are coming to terms with ourselves. We understand that there are many that want a lifestyle close to the city. And I think as a result, we're seeing those sorts of activities and activations that make it more comfortable and more attractive for people to live close to the city. That's a really good point I want to segue from, that activation. And one place in, well, there's probably not just one, but one that affected my life as I went to Trinity as a kid Mm. is East Perth. And I think East Perth has been known for being the dead part of Perth. It's got the old cemetery, pardon the pun, but big car park, Queen's Garden, no one seems to really walk through much. You've got the trots that not many people go to. It's so much land where not a lot's going on. And one big announcement has been made in the last year or so about that area, and that's the City of Perth's first primary school in 100 years. Yeah. Have you guys sorted it out with the state government about the land tenure and giving them the space yeah. to do that, and you guys get some money for the rest? Sure. So the deal's not done as yet, and we're going through our due diligence process as we are required to do. Obviously, it's a major land transaction for the City of Perth. So what's contemplated and what's been put to us by state government, I'm happy to share this because I think people will find it interesting on this particular podcast. So the three car parks that are across or adjacent Queen's Gardens, they are covered by something called the Chevron Hilton Act, which dates back to around 1962. And what the Chevron Hilton Act effectively says to us is it's city-owned land, it's our land, but it prohibits any development. The only thing we can do with the Chevron Hilton Act sitting on those three parcels of land, which effectively is one big parcel of land, is operate them as car parks. So state government have come to us and there have been inquiries and queries previously from previous administrations and indeed from our administration. And probably developers as well. Correct, about getting that lifted so that that land could perhaps find a higher and better use. So what state government have come to us with uh, and, and asked for us to contemplate is they take 
two-thirds of that land. It's a significant chunk of land, obviously. 1.7 hectares. Something like that. And uh, leave us with the remaining third, which is uh, equivalent to about the front end of the car park. They would remove the Chevron Hilton Act. They would take their two-thirds and build the primary school. And they would leave the one-third for us unencumbered. So we could do what we want to do with it. So we're going through that process now to see that some of the things that, for example, we need to check. So let me just say this first. Uh, the idea of a primary school in East Perth is very important to everyone at the City of Perth. We know to grow a city that the ease of access to primary schools and schooling full stop is important. Because so that's I, been the big gap, hasn't it? Correct. So you, kids have got to go to Highgate or Vic Park. That's too far, right. And too therefore tricky. you've got no young families. All you've got is single people living yep. in the apartments along Hay yep. Street or they're living in Claysbrook Cove. But yep. none of them can be young families. No, that's right. So we want a primary school in East Perth. We're all on the same page. We have to determine is the transaction that's been contemplated or has been put to us by the City of Perth, does it represent the best value for City of Perth ratepayers? Because mm. ultimately, it's not my land to give away and it's not even our council's land to give away. It's the City ratepayers' land. And if we give it away now, we never get it back. But notwithstanding the fact that we all absolutely understand the need for a primary school in East Perth. So we are working our way through that process as is required of us and as our ratepayers would expect of us. But we are very confident that we're working towards being able to see a primary school in East Perth and we would welcome that next step being taken. So we're working out the dollars and cents. Maybe not ex super happy with the deal at the moment, but maybe oh, we'll get there. I'm not saying we're unhappy with it, but we need to know, for example, that on the one third of land that remains, that we could perhaps contemplate selling to a developer or build a high-rise car park to replace some of the car parking that we know is very popular. Mm. Perhaps it's uh, six stories of car parking and then some development on top. But we need to know that, for example, right next to a primary school, mm. we're going to be allowed to build a high-rise tower that might look into a mm. primary school. So we need to do our homework. It all sounds terrific on paper, as most deals do, but we need to do the research and fact-finding on behalf of our ratepayers to make sure that the deal we do is the best deal for the City of Perth. So as long as we sort out those finer details, mm. within this decade, we probably got a primary school in well, East Perth. Well, state government are very keen to have the primary school open for the first term of 2028. So, so actually not that far away. Not far away at all. Yeah. I mean, you know, the other side that was perhaps contemplated and, and could probably still be contemplated is the old water bank site next to your old school. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's it looks, still a water bank. It really. looks like a tip. <laughs> yeah. uh, it looks like a cross between a, a desert, a tip and a building site. We can do a lot better with that. Mm. And at the very least, we've advocated for a return to public open space, get some grass down, let Trinity bring some of their playing fields into there. Well, it used if, to be the old rugby slosh pit back correct. in the day for the kids yeah, to get correct. muddy on. Even if it's a temporary measure until such time as um, development techniques mean or, or construction techniques mean you can do a meaningful development I think the problem was you couldn't, it was too cost prohibitive to go down and what Lend Lease were contemplating. That is potentially still a decent site for a primary school if for whatever reason this deal doesn't stack up. But that's not the approach that we're taking. We want to help make it work. We want to be delivery partners in a primary school for the city of Perth and for East Perth in particular with the state government. That's the mindset that we're taking into this. Northbridge, do you think it's got a high enough density allowance in terms of height in its space? There are places just north of the precinct that I think could, could really incentivise a lot more 
density yeah. to help with that part yes. of the, that side of the tracks. And, and so part of our uh, local planning strategy amendments and the ultimate, ultimately the local planning scheme amendments will contemplate greater density there. Mm. Uh, remembering it's interesting, so the City of Perth boundaries only go as far as Newcastle, Newcastle Street. Street. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think most people... See, uh, most mean, people wouldn't even know that. No, and absolutely fascinating that if you travelled along Stirling Street, for example, <laughs> you're in Northbridge, crossover Newcastle Street, Suddenly, you're in the yeah. city of Vincent, but your suburb becomes still Perth. Perth. Yeah, I mean, how confusing is that? So you leave the CBD, yeah. you go into Northbridge, you're still in the city of Perth. You cross over Newcastle Street. Suddenly, you're in the city of Vincent, yeah. but the suburb that you live in is Perth. So, well, uh, the same thing happened with West Perth, right? Yeah, like correct. you've got West Perth, which is on the city yeah. side. You yeah. also have leadable West yeah, Perth. Correct. Not many people understand that. No, either. correct. In fact, not many people know that there is one area, and that is the area across the road, if you like, from the south building up from City West. That little thin area between Railway and Cambridge that butts onto the start of Thomas and the end of Loftus, that is actually town of Cambridge. Which is nowhere near Cambridge proper. It's amazing, isn't it? So as well as Vincent, which everybody knows about, and obviously the city of Subiaco being on the other side of Thomas Street, and then the city of Nedlands being on the other side of our area down near QE2, Nedlands Crawley. We also have that little small patch of the town of Cambridge that adjoins our borders. Thomas Street down to behind the Wacker, uh, to the river, and then from the river at Elizabeth Quay and Langley Park across to Newcastle Street. And then, of course, uh, that area through um, Nedlands and Crawley, but not all of Nedlands and Crawley and, and this side. So Steve's Hotel is not in the city of Perth, but across the road and back towards the uni is in the city of yeah, Perth. Yeah, it's very strange that Crawley, most people would think, oh, it's got to be Nedlands. And, yeah. and that is exactly where my example was. Yeah. You go, you're in Crawley, you can develop, you're in Nedlands. Good luck, people. West Perth. Hmm. I know you're a fan of the football team. Obviously, yeah. not local to the yeah. suburb, unfortunately, hmm. these days. Most would criticise it as being a place that lacks any soul, yeah. that lacks, lacks any community. Yeah. Obviously, it's a very transient medical and exploration, yeah. small cap tenant base. How do we fix that place? And if you think about it from as a location perspective, yeah. that runs just up. You've got the cat running into it hmm. still. The people. Whatever challenge you throw at me about an area of the city of Perth, the answer is almost invariably going to be the same. People. So we need more people. One thing that we know is coming, and you know, one of the reasons why I'm so confident about the next few years of the city of Perth is because a lot of these things I talk about, they're not contemplated, they're not possibles or maybes, they're not even probables. They are happening, Mm. and one of them is the relocation of Roy Hill's offices and operation from the Perth Airport precinct to join the rest of the Hancock group in a campus in West Perth. That's going to bring a 1,000 people into West Perth on a daily basis in around about 18 months. Now, the impact of those 1,000 people being plonked right in the middle of that precinct is going to be profound. Mm. And we know that human nature being human nature... People bring people and it brings a confidence from the development community, from the retail or business community. When they see people, they see opportunities. When they see opportunities, typically Perth people get busy and capitalise on them. So I I absolutely agree. My view is that that area from Collins Street to Outram Street on Hay Street is an absolutely beautiful precinct. It's such an opportunity. I would love to see Saturday mornings and Sundays, that area alive, like many of the other strips around... Like an Angove Street style or something. 
agree. That. And it's got all the potential to be that. We are increasing density, so there'll be more opportunities for the development community to bring more people living in the area, and I'm certain that's going to happen. We know there's a supermarket contemplated just around the corner of Woolworths. That makes a big difference as well. But those thousand people from one big company plonked right in the middle of the area is going to have a profound change. I think a lot of people wouldn't recognise a lot of these numbers and these projects. That That's where the people are going, where the people go is where yeah. the demand goes. One thing that's been contemplated in the city, and, and I'm a sceptic of it, I don't see it being able to stack up, is the refurbishment of old C-grade offices mm. into residential yeah. as an opportunity to provide that supply. I just see it being far too expensive mm. to renovate these buildings that are just not set up for living standards of today. Yeah. Have you had a lot of discussions yeah. internally about this? Clearly, it's something that is a bit of an idea and it's something that's talked about in lots of capital cities around the world and yeah. certainly around Australia. You're absolutely right. It's not as easy as you might think and we talk about the housing supply supply shortage and needing to find more accommodation. But as we know, they're constructed in a different way. The plumbing is totally different for an office building and particularly one that was built some time mm. ago. There's cladding and all sorts of issues like that as well. So it's not as easy. It's not as easy as what people might think. We are looking at ways to further incentivize and offer more incentives for people to contemplate it and perhaps get on and do it. But the reality is it's expensive mm. and it's not that easy. So what we need to do then is continue to make our city attractive for others to come and use that space. And clearly part of the onus is on the owners of those properties yeah, spruce to the place do up. what they can yeah. to make them more attractive. A couple of things that I reckon COVID gave us a bit of a health check on, pardon the pun from me this time. Is the city a place where people want to be? I think we know a resounding yes. The city had its chance to die, didn't it? I mm. mean, if people didn't want to come back to the city, they were given the opportunity to resist. They didn't. They want to be in the city. And businesses want to be in the city. Or need to be a lot of the time. Correct. And, and you know, just as an aside from that, why do the biggest luxury brands in the world suddenly decide that they want to open up on Murray Street in the city of Perth. Why? Because they do the numbers. They see the trends. They know where our city is going. They have their lens on all of these developments that I've talked about. So the future of our city is on an almost certain trajectory. We know that. These are smart operators who know what they're doing. Mm. They contemplate every city in the world. They have teams that look at all of the data. Yeah, Dior doesn't have to be here. Correct. They don't. None of them have to be here. Mm. And they're not in cities that they don't think they can make a quid. They think they can make a quid in Perth, and guess what? They are making a quid. So all of those things tell us our city is a viable destination. So how do we turn some of that older office stock into office stock that is useful or find a use for it? And there are other ways. Do we open some of them up as creative spaces? Is there more potential for the arts and culture scene to find a home in some of these spaces? Mm. I would say yes. We've seen it in other parts of the world. Every year, the great livable cities of the world, yes. the list is contemplated. Sometimes, Ron, sometimes we're not. Correct. Uh, we're at 12, up 21 places from the previous 12 months. Excellent. If our arts and culture score was higher, we'd be well and truly in the top five of global livable mm. cities. 
So that is an opportunity for us. We've made great strides, I think, in the arts and culture scene. We certainly facilitate as much of it as we can. And Perth Festival, finding a home back in the heart of the city, Fringe, and all of the other activities that we've spoken about. But that's an opportunity for us as a city to continue to make our city more livable, continue to increase the arts and culture offering in our city. That's really interesting that that is where the score is saying Mm. that we're behind. Well, I can tell you that... um, so. In the livability rankings, the most recent ones, so Sydney, I think, is three, Melbourne, two, Vienna, one. Vienna seems to do very well all of the time. Mm. Um, Too cold for me. Certainly Sydney and Melbourne in the top five. Now, if we had an arts and culture score, so there's five or six categories. They're things like climate, accessibility, the health of your city and health and welfare, public transport, et cetera, et cetera. One of them is arts and culture. And that's our lowest score. If our arts and culture score was the equal of only Brisbane's, and we're ahead of Brisbane as a livable city, Mm. but if our arts and culture score was the equal of Brisbane's, we'd be in the top five most livable cities in the world. So there's the opportunity. Last question. Mm. I want to bring us back 20 years Mm. to the precipice of the mining boom. Mm. And I'm nervous to make this nexus because it was an unprecedented time that is fabled in many ways in Western Australia. I was only in high school, so I can't purport to have experienced it in a commercial sense. But I look at all the data from a property perspective in the broader Perth, and on every data point, population growth, amount of supply, amount of demand, vacancy rates, Mm. even interest rates in, in terms of affordability, wages, every single one of those metrics is actually more critical, more chronic than it was 20 years ago in our market right now. And we know what happened 20 years ago to property prices, both in the city of Perth and broadly. You were an adult, Mm. obviously, walking the streets uh, 20 years ago Mm. still. You remember this. You were ear to the ground as a journalist. Can you draw any comparisons to the Mm. feel of being on the edge of something for the city of Perth? Yeah. To me, it feels as though what we're about to go through or are at the start of is more sustainable and is going to be longer lasting. My view on what we're on the edge of at the city of Perth is a period of sustained growth of an addition of a significant extra number of people to the absolute core of our city that will set us up for the next 20, 30 years. It's an interesting point. So the population of the city of Perth at the moment is 33,000 people. Our targets are for 55,000 people by 2036. So you're going to need an extra 10 or so thousand apartments. Yep, so so we want to get to 55,000 by 2036. That's only 13, 12 years away. And ultimately, we want to be at 90,000 by 2050. Now, my view is, as we watch what's happening around us and we see the trends, uh, we see what people are prepared or the sorts of dwellings people are prepared to call home now, my view is that those numbers are absolutely achievable. But if they're achievable, that tells us that the wave that we're on now is going to be sustainable mm. and it's going to lead to an ongoing prosperity of the heart of our city. I do also believe too, I'm a firm believer in be good at what you are good at and celebrate what you are famous for. Clearly, a diversified economy is important. But we should never turn our backs on the resources industry and the incredible opportunities that it's given all of us, whether you're a broadcaster, whether you're a Lord Mayor, whether you're in the property space. Filters down to everyone. Absolutely. And we should accept and embrace that. One of the great opportunities that I've had as the Lord Mayor is to understand better 
the energy space and in particular energy transition. And I'm digressing, I know, but I'll come back to why I say this. The city of Perth is one of 19 member cities of the World Energy Cities Partnership. And recently that group met here at a global gathering. Only a couple of weeks ago. Only a couple of weeks ago. So we know of all our great natural resources. Gold at the turn of the last century, nickel, gas in particular, and obviously iron ore. And then now look at us in the lithium space, the critical minerals, and then solar, wind, the space that you need to be able to make those sustainable forms of energy work. We've got everything here. So the idea that our boom that comes off the back of resources and energy in particular might be tapering out, it's here for a long, long time. Our challenge, I think, as a city, but in particular as a state, is to absolutely maximise the potential of the great resources that we have. That's our real challenge. We've been pretty good at digging it up and shipping it off. What more can we do? Yeah, how do we add value? We're at an incredible um, point in our city's history, and the next two, three, five and 10 and 15 and 50 years beyond that look incredible from where I'm sitting. Well, I think at the end of the day, in order for us to achieve that, there needs to be a recognition from community that the developer is not the bad guy. They are part of the solution. They want to create the best outcomes possible that the community can afford and that they want. More to the point, there needs to be as much teamwork as possible between the developer, the proponent, and the local government at the planning level, at the council level. If everyone's on the same page about the problems we have and how we solve those problems together, which the number one will be and is housing, then surely the city of Perth will continue to lead the way in that space. I like to say that promoting Perth, and when I say promoting, I don't just mean in a marketing sense, but making Perth the great place that it can be for the development community, for the retail community, for the business community, Promoting Perth is a team game and we're all on the same team. Mm -hmm. And the more and more we accept that premise, the faster we get to where we know we can get to. Couldn't have said it better myself. Basil Zamplis, Lord Mayor of the City of Perth, I'm very proud to have you in today and I thank you for your time. It's been quite enlightening. I've learned quite a few things today myself as well about what's actually going on and what will be going on in the city of Perth. It gives me a lot of confidence as a developer myself that maybe it is the right time to start looking at some of those properties in and around Perth, Northbridge, East Perth, West Perth and Crawley because it might be a fruitful fishing hole for me as well. If it's been a while, have another look. That's what I would say to not just you, Trent, but to all of the members of our property family and community. I'm super confident about Perth's future and do you, I tell you what, I'll finish with this. We've all travelled. We've all been to amazing places around the world. We love them. We love going to all of those great places that we go. But every single one of us, when we arrive back at Perth Airport, says the same thing. It's so good to be home. Have a look at where we live. This is paradise. How true is that? We live in the best city in the world. Couldn't agree more. Thanks, Basil. Good on you, Trent. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!